how does a leader drive greater diversity within their organisation? Why does it matter? And where does Ireland stand in the world when it comes to comparable economies? On International Women's Day, we're talking diversity in the working environment. In just a moment, we'll be joined by Breed Horn and Carol Andrews from the 30% Club. And we'll be talking about what business leaders can do to change the dial when it comes to diversity, how greater diversity equals better business results, the power of mentoring, the options senior leaders have right now, and what the future holds for females in the workplace. We begin with Breed Horn. You currently serve on several boards and councils, top Irish businesses, but today you're here representing the 30% Club and the Better Balance for Better Business initiative. Can you give the listeners a bit of background into both? Uh, okay, you. thank you for, for having me here today. And perhaps I'll start with the 30% Club in Ireland because we started that in early 2015 with a soft launch. And that is really an initiative to engage business leaders in the whole challenge and opportunity of improving gender balance in business leadership in Ireland and uh, that has built we've built support with over 200 senior business leaders across the really the leading uh, businesses and business organizations in Ireland and the better balance for better business initiative is a slightly different animal uh, or initiative in that it's a government led uh, government initiative led by business people and it that has come about this year on foot of suggestions from the 30% Club indeed that it is important for government to actually take an initiative and to encourage business Mm. to tackle the question of gender balance because it is an opportunity for business as well as a challenge. And where does Ireland stand in the world currently in terms of gender balance, particularly on the the upper echelons of leadership? Well, in some, you know, in some comparisons, we could feature quite well. It depends on who you pick to compare with. Mm. But let's take practical comparisons. And I could quote endless statistics to yeah. you. But today I'm going to just focus on the companies listed on the Irish Stock Exchange, which are you know, a good representative yeah. sample of Irish businesses. And if you take those businesses, 15% of their boards, their, their directors are female, which is... That you know, feels low. It feels very low. And over a third of those businesses have no woman on their board. And if you look at the, the smaller end of that, the enterprise securities market, about three quarters of them have no woman on their board. So that doesn't feel like balance. And if you look then internationally, the main international comparison that's taken is actually of the larger companies. Mm. So if you look at the Isaac 20, so they're the 20 biggest companies, they would actually feature a, a bit better. They have 18%. But in the EU 28, the average percentage would be 26%. So you can see we're lagging behind. And particularly if you look at the UK, is already at 30%. Mm. And, you know, there are countries that are at 40% and, and ahead of that. There's a particular issue, by the way, uh, hidden in that, which is that's all directors, so all board members. If you look at executive directors, which are the executives, the, the, the directors who actually work inside in the companies. Mm. So... The directors who are not in the companies, actually the number is not 15%, it's about 18%. But the flip side of that is that the directors who are employed in the companies, it's only 7%. I know that's a lot of statistics to yeah, you, no. <laughs> but what that's illustrating is that actually it isn't all about board membership. It's actually about the leadership inside in the companies, which is just as important in our view as the actual board members. Mm. And why do you think, let's just take Ireland to drill down into Ireland, why do you think this is so in Ireland. We're a rather progressive, progressive country in many ways. So why do we lag so far behind comparable countries? 
we were almost half a representation of, of some of those statistics to comparable economies and cultures. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's because, I mean, there's a whole range of reasons. You know, you can narrow in on, on a small number. The first thing that should be said is that if you were looking at those percentages 10 years ago, mm. they'd be even worse. Yeah. So the percentage uh, on those listed boards has probably more or less doubled in the last 10 years. But that said, we're not progressing as fast as other countries. Mm. And I think it's because there have been quite strong initiatives in other countries that perhaps we haven't mirrored. So we in the 30% Club have been engaged in a very active debate with business. Out of that has come this debate with government as well to say that really in other countries governments have stepped into the debate Mm. and perhaps created a little more momentum. The other parties that are stepping into the debate are investors and we can come back to that. They're taking an interest now in gender balance for good business reasons. So there are a number of factors coming and the Better Balance for Better Business initiative we were just launched in July by the Taoiseach, who's very much behind this initiative. And uh, Gary Kennedy and I are co-chairing it. We have a review group that is very representative of business organisations, Irish and multinational. And we have decided that we are going to focus on both the boards and the executive employees mm-hmm. of Irish businesses. We're going to look at listed companies, yes, absolutely. But we're also going to look at the large private companies and we're going to look at multinationals. Let's go back to that uh, you're talking about as you moved up the chain. So where do you see or, or has, does the research indicate what level are the blockages occurring? I think many average professionals will look around in their office and see actually pretty good gender balance at their level, but maybe they're just not seeing it above. So where is those blockages occurring? I think you'd have to look at each individual organisation and mm-hmm. indeed at different sectors. Okay. So you'll see different patterns. And for example, the state sector is quite interesting in that if you look at state boards, they've just this year reached 40% on state boards. Now, there's been a focus on gender balance on state boards by the government uh, for at least 20 years, Mm. probably more. I know myself, I I was appointed to a board in the mid-90s, and I've no doubt that part of that appointment was related to gender balance, and I'm very grateful for it. It was Mm. very positive for me in terms of my own development. But they've reached 40%. And interestingly... The, the other interesting statistics from that is that uh, one in four of the chairs of state boards are female. Whereas, you know, if you look at the, the private sector, there's only 4% of those listed companies that have, have female chairs. So they have been able to find the women by creating that focus. So when you say, and you said earlier, you know, Ireland is a very progressive country, when we actually give a focus to something that we want yeah. to pro- proceed and progress, then I think we can do it. And that sho- that's shown in the, the state sector. Last year, 40% of senior appointments in the civil service were to women. So it can be done where there's a real focus. And indeed, in the private sector, there are many good examples of companies who've been making really great progress. But what we would say is it's not enough companies mm. and it's not going fast enough. And that's, to go back to your point, why are we lagging other countries? It's really because of that. But by the way, you know, we're not alone. When you look at executive level in other countries, they haven't necessarily made the progress that they've made at board level. Mm. So even in the UK, less than 10% of their executive directors are female in the largest companies. So you need to be really careful that you actually address the issues across the levels and across the sectors. And let's take this, uh, the sort of best person for the job argument and tackle that one because... A lot of people would hear that sort of we have an aim to get 40% on the board by this stage and this stage. And they would say, best person for the job, etc. So it's, a, it's an old argument. Mm-hmm. 
So if in theory you are building a team of four and the four best candidates happen to be men or women, should you still add diversity to that team? Will the team as a sum of its parts operate better with better balance? There are real disadvantages to having an unbalanced team. Yeah. So there's lots and lots of research. But let me quote the Deputy Governor of the Irish Central Bank, mm. Ed Sibley, who spoke, who spoke about this very recently. Now he's talking in the context of financial services, but it's equally true of other sectors. And he, he calls out the fact that if you have a male-dominated team, that there's a risk of overconfidence in decision-making, that there's a lack of internal challenge, resistance to external challenge, uh, and resistance to change. Now, all of those things are not good. And when you add on to those the risks of groupthink, the lack of customer perspective, and perhaps most importantly, the fact that you are sending a signal down the organisation that there's less room for female talent. Mm. You know, Gary Kennedy, uh, the co-chair of Better Balance for Better Business, it really struck me at the launch event. He spoke about his 27-year-old daughter and how he didn't want her to look up in uh, an organisation and feel that there was no place for her at the top. That really matters. And by the way, it matters to young men as well. You know, there's lots and lots of research again that shows that younger men and women joining the workforce, men and women, care about the culture, they care about inclusion. They want to work in a progressive, inclusive environment. Just when you name all those things, you know, perception of the customer, etc., it strikes me as it's as much about a diversity of thought in the room, a diversity in any other category. It's simply having different ideas and different perspectives in the room that will lead to different innovations. Uh, absolutely, Hugh. I, I mean, if this is a, re- a recording, but if you could see me here, I'm nodding. It's absolutely <laughs> true. I think diversity is about all forms of diversity, and I would be passionate about all of those, whether it's you know in terms of a bit of physical ability, sexual orientation, age, very yeah. important. But for me, all of those really matter, and I will work very hard to make sure you have a c- culture that actually is inclusive from all those perspectives and others. But actually, if you can't get it right for gender, because we're talking about 50% of the population, Mm. we're investing heavily in education for our young people, male and female. They are performing really well in education, and yet they're coming into a workforce where, for a whole myriad of reasons, women are not progressing in the same way. Um, We have an economy where the participation rate among women is lower than among men, and perhaps you can explain that. But it's also lower than the participation rate in the UK by about 10% and lower by 15 or 20%. And that, that's some other more countries. just a significant or a statistical anomaly. anomaly. That absolutely. is something occurring. It, it is absolutely something happening. And it's a combination of the challenges and the disparity in caring responsibilities. I mean, I think we do have to acknowledge that women do tend to carry more of the caring responsibilities back in the home. Yeah. Now, I have yet to meet a child who doesn't have a father and a mother. And one of the things that we need to recognise is that caring responsibility among men. Mm. And again, younger men and women, I think, have a more balanced attitude. And younger men are more interested, I, I hope, and hopefully will have much better opportunities to actually have a more balanced share in rearing mm. their own children. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move from that, from that sort of... I, would, I wouldn't call it a soft thought, or the hard thought, the, the, the business results. So why should an organisation care if they are underrepresented in terms of gender? There is lots of research that shows that gender-balanced management teams are producing better results. And this is being recognised uh, by lots of people. It's recognised in research, absolutely. 
But interestingly, it's now being uh, recognised by investor groups mm. and invest investment managers. So the likes of BlackRock, Morgan Stanley, State Street, lots of different investment groups are now saying that this is a focus for them. And the Bloomberg actually have recently compiled a gender equality index where they're looking at, they started with financial services and they drill down, I think there's about four pages of really detailed questions as they assess a business as to how gender equal it is. And they are confident that that will lead to outperformance by a business. So it's getting translated into hard numbers by hard-nosed people who themselves wouldn't be very gender-balanced, let's say. So this is not coming from an industry that is in itself uh, a paragon of virtue in this respect. Mm. But they're saying this actually affects the bottom line and we think businesses need to pay attention to it, which is interesting. And of course, you know, there there is the argument as to causation, uh, whether it's actually that that's causing it or whether good companies are actually more likely to be inclusive. Personally, I don't care which it is, but there is an indication that gender balanced teams do better. And from your own instinct, you, you know, you don't need to go up to board level. Just bring it down to a team tackling a project. If you've got a set of people who all think the same way, looking at any particular issue or any particular challenge, then they're going to see a particular way of addressing it. You add in a number of people with different perspectives, and you're right, it is about diversity of thought, but actually, on balance, bringing in more people from each gender mm-hmm. creates that diversity of thought. And, you know, this cuts both ways, by the way. Yeah. An all-female team is less than ideal as well. Yeah. Uh, so gender balance in both directions works. And there's all kinds of evidence well below the board level to show that you will get better outcomes. You give a set of problems to a team. If, that's, if you introduce gender balance into it, they will look at a broader data set and they'll come up with better conclusions. Yeah. I saw a fascinating piece of research about, um, they were called catapult experiences, which mm-hmm. was essentially you were put into a job probably above your pay grade, sink or swim type thing. Um, CEOs, I think 95% had at least one catapult experience and uh, 50% had two. But the research that they found was the females, when they even when they got the catapult experience, which was much less than men, the rewards afterwards were much less. So, for example, if they did an MBA, they'd be much li- less likely to be promoted. If they carried out a major project, they'd less likely to, to get another project. Where is that coming from? Because surely a, a person that gets an MBA in a year's time, they'll probably be promoted. Is there unconscious bias or is a conscious bias playing a role in these organisations? That sounds like really interesting research, which I, which I haven't seen myself Um But I I think it does kind of point you back at unconscious bias. And by the way, unconscious bias affecting both the men and women involved. I'm a great advocate for taking risks and getting out of your comfort zone. But having done that, you then need to try and build on it Mm. uh, and take advantage of it to to go further. And and when we talk about genders, by the way, I should say we're always generalizing when we talk about trends and tendencies of genders because we're all different. Yeah. You know, I, I have two sons and they're really different. They grew up in the same family, you know, but they're really different because we're all individual. Um, but just in general, I think women tend to be a little bit more risk averse. I tend to describe that as we're perhaps more risk conscious. Mm. And, uh, you know, you take a risk and maybe take that catapult uh, experience, as you say, but you're very aware of the price of failure. Uh, and to be fair, if a woman fails, 
she's going to be punished more mm-hmm. than a man. I think the experience will confirm that just in yeah. terms of the reaction, just the visibility. Uh, we've seen female CEOs who've you know had a very tough time. Um, but maybe that willingness to take yet another risk, perhaps that's less available. Um, and I think organisations need to be really conscious and mindful of taking their talent pipeline and actually making sure that they're developing it fully. So, you know, if it isn't a case of, well, let's give a woman the opportunity to do an MBA or a diploma in the IMI or coaching or mentoring. And then, you know, if she doesn't take full advantage of that and go on the next step, then so be it. I think you need to be following through as well. And uh, to some degree, and again, generalizing enormously, women may be more reluctant to push themselves forward. So having got one opportunity, maybe they're reluctant to ask for the next one. Whereas, and again, we're generalizing, men more typically will say, well, I've done this, so therefore I can do that. And and maybe take that step forward. So I would be very encouraging to women to actually keep on uh, taking the steps, but also to organizations to reach back and make sure that they're, they're communicating effectively with women. So one of the things that emerged in recent research done by the 30% Club was that that career development issue uh, and career management issue is one that women see as really important and I think organisations could do more to help. Let, let's ask that question. So um, again, CEO board member listening to this and saying, right, uh, first steps, they don't have a defined policy. What would be the first thing you do? And now it depends CEO on the organisation. It depends, absolutely uh, of depends course, on the organisation. Maybe philosophies are different. Well, the first thing is to get convinced themselves. Yeah. Because if they're not convinced themselves, I think that'll show through mm. and it won't really work. So leadership from the top, like people have, have done lots of research about the things that work. The single most important thing is actually leadership and conviction from the top. Yeah. And we've seen that in practice in lots of ways. It matters for everything that you want to do in a business, but it really matters in this. So actually convincing themselves. Um, I would say the other thing they should do is really look at their own organisation and understand what the data in there is telling them. Mm. So the numbers, but also listen to the organisation. I, I know of one very senior leader in, here in Dublin, and one of the things that he has done is that he has what he calls listening lunches. And um, the question he asks is, what's it like to be a woman around here? Mm. And he's actually moved on to having mixed listening lunches now having found them so powerful but that was the initial what's it like to be a woman in this organization such a simple question but i opened up a lot of um and and then having done that i think it's important to set targets you know um and and to be public about the targets and and that brings us on to better balance for better business but you know there's a lot that you can do and i think when organizations really look at what can we do you know to give credit to the imi you know, the IMI joined the 30% Club uh, very very early on. And one of the questions they posed to themselves was, what can the IMI do as an organisation? And, and the IMI has partnered with the 30% Club on some really powerful initiatives, uh, both in terms of scholarships, the mentoring programme, which has proved really effective, and then the women in leadership programmes that, that have been launched this year. Um, you, do, you do talk a lot of numbers, which I appreciate. I, I always like numbers. Apologies. <laughs> What would your advice be for companies in publishing their diversity statistics? Because uh, I remember Google doing it a couple of years ago, mm. and it was quite a powerful thing at the time. I remember because it was the tech community, and they weren't good numbers, but they published them. There's a, a very simple thing, um, and we've all heard it, what gets measured gets managed. Mm. And I think it's Elena Morrissey, and I don't know if she's quoting somebody else, 
but I'll credit it to Elena Morrissey, the founder of the 30% Club in the UK, who says, yeah, what gets measured gets managed. And what gets reported publicly gets managed even better. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Very much so. Uh, there's a human factor in all of this. And that's not to say that people are superficial about the thing. Yeah. But I think the fact that it's out there, we've seen it in the UK with the gender pay gap reporting that the, there was earlier this year which is a complex kind of piece of information and it is going to come here, we're going to have legislation yeah. here, the government have, have said that they're going to do that. But actually putting out the data and, and making it available forces an organisation to really grapple with the data mm. and understand it and go deeper then to say, okay, now I understand it, it will help me to figure out how I can influence it. Uh, and that's where we need people to get to. Whether it's about, you know, as in Better Balance for Better Business, where we will be publishing the progress, as I've said, at, at the various levels, or the gender pay gap. It's about getting under the bonnet of that data and actually saying, well, what's it really telling us? So I think it'll be in the analysis beyond the numbers. So while I might quote statistics, I'm much more interested in actually what are they telling you? Yeah. And what do you need to change in your organisation in order to get better and different numbers? And what are the challenges around implementing that change? What are the obstacles? Are, are they the ones you expect? I, I, I think, look, you know, I hesitate to say this now in a recording, but it's, it's <laughs> well over 40 years since I became aware of gender disparity yeah. in business, you know, starting with unequal pay and the marriage bar and all of those good things that were in existence when I joined the workforce. And I... If somebody had told my 18-year-old self that I would be sitting here in the 21st century yeah. talking to you about gender imbalance, I would not have believed it. Frankly, I would not have believed it. And yet here we are. Mm. So time hasn't fixed it. Legislation hasn't fixed it. And I think that's not a surprise when you really think about any other business issue. There's no business issue where you'd say, oh, it'll be all right in time. Nobody is saying, you know your safety record will improve over time or yeah. your profitability will improve just because the year has yeah, passed. Very interesting point, actually. It takes action, it takes leadership, it takes commitment. And I think that's what's been missing, has actually been that focus. There's been an assumption mm. that time was going to fix it. And I think now we're waking up, the business community, the government are waking up to the fact that actually time alone isn't going to fix this, that we need leadership and we need action and, and I, I believe that business leaders are waking up to that too. And how long in your experience uh, the, the programs that you've come across those organizations that have really taken this on how long does it really take to have an appreciable effect within that an organization? I would say it depends on what you're trying to tackle mm. so if you've got a pipeline issue as there as exists in some of the sectors then that's, you know, that's a tough one to tackle. So whether it's the engineering sector or the IT sector. And, you know, unfortunately, even in IT, we've seen actually things going backwards rather oh, really? than forwards. Yeah, and that's not just in Ireland, that's internationally. So it can take a very long time. But that said, I think there's always something you can do to keep moving momentum forward. And I think even in organisations where there isn't a pipeline issue, th there's still a lot to be done. So it will take... I suppose years, not months, mm. but but I think even in a matter of months and weeks and days, you can make a difference if you start to change the culture. 
uh, you can make a difference to how it actually feels to work around I, you. I would imagine that cultural change would happen reasonably quickly just by people seeing that it's happening. Yeah. So right. almost by pushing the ball, you, 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 you're moving it. I think the very fact that a leader comes out and starts to be explicit about the importance of this issue, I think that starts to move the, the ball, as you say. Um, let's talk about practical organisational policies, often the dull stuff, but often the most visible things as well. So what are those employee benefits that can help increase the balance within an organisation? Well, I think the first thing is that, that they need to be tailored to the organisation's needs. So you just, and that, that just goes without saying. Yeah. Um, but that said, I think you can learn from others. You know, I think you can actually look across at what's, what's working elsewhere. And to go back to my point about the mentoring program, you can pilot and try things. And very importantly, you need to look within your own organisation and understand what are the blockers, what are the issues. Talk to people and, and listen to them. And then it goes the full gamut. Uh, you know, it's all the career management options that we've talked about, whether it's coaching, mentoring, how you actually fill programmes, how you give people experience, development mm. opportunities. And I think flexibility is a big issue and again getting back to younger people and indeed for most age groups research is indicating that flexibility really matters to people and it can be different forms of flexibility so some people will want to to reduce their working hours Mm. but we're seeing equal importance attached to just flexibility around start and finish times just to give people breathing space as to how they organize their lives I think we've got to get uh, a lot more agile in how we run organisations and how we think about so output and outcomes. Even that simple, everyone works from nine to half five, should be really thrown out the window and, and, and rethought. Yeah, and the, and the trouble is it's very easy to say that. And yes. yet, like I passed uh, the school near where I live this morning, you can't actually have flexible start and finish times in a school. Yeah. You know, that's just not going to work. So you have to be realistic, again, tailoring it to your organisation looking at opportunities where they can exist to actually give a flexibility and perhaps the start and finish times can't be flexible is there some other form of flexibility the other reality is recognizing you know i go back to the child we need to have children Uh, we need our young people to to continue to have children that's a reality we need men and women to have children and we need to recognize that and I would like to see a situation where there is greater balance in the caring. But one aspect of it, we need women to do, and that's actually having the children. Yeah. So in a larger organization, if you've got a certain number of women of a certain age, it's time to start recognizing that we as a society and you as a business need them to have children. Yes. So let's start resourcing and actually managing that rather than it being a big crisis. I mean, I, I know from talking to younger women, they've been terrified going in to tell their boss that they're pregnant. Oh, which is ridiculous. Which is ridiculous, <laughs> absolutely. You know, yeah. it's just ridiculous. Sh- should that be done at a governmental level, though? Because a lot of people would argue that's not an individual business. They should be mandated to do these things. Well, you see, they are mandated in the sense of maternity leave and, and legislation, but you can only go so far with mm. legislation. You then have to tailor to each organisation and how an organisation resources its business, you can't kind of dip in and tell company X that they need to have, instead of having you know, a certain number of people at a certain age group, they need to have a different number. Yeah. I think that's, that's common sense and businesses need to wake up to it. And smaller businesses need to wake up to the fact that they need to have a resourcing model that actually is flexible enough. 
So I'm not so saying it's just that to, easy, but it needs to be done. Just to drill down, because mm. again, it's, it's a common, it's a common thing. So that that small business of say eight to ten people, um, they should resource in a way that even if the female in her twenties or thirties gets pregnant, that it's not. It shouldn't be a crisis. It shouldn't be a crisis. It should be. It should be something that everybody's very happy about. And you know, there are now with the new forms of resourcing. You can actually get in people temporarily and so on. Yeah. There's lots of options. So we should just, and, and this is an issue I think for both men and women, um, for employees and managers, we need to get better at those conversations. Yeah. And I, I, like I do know from talking to younger women that they are terrified of that conversation. And yet there are now happily organizations that are actually opening up the conversation and saying, let's talk about it. And they're having programs to support women through the maternity leave, to support them on the transition back into the workplace, actually recognising that this is just a part of a long working career. And let's face it, with increasing longevity, people are going to have longer careers. So the childbearing period is going to be a smaller and smaller percentage. And I don't feel, I don't want to go into cliches, but surely that childhood or having a child experience will be beneficial in many ways in the way they act and operate as as a professional. It's really interesting that you say that because I, I was out of the workforce for a few years when I had my two sons and uh, in the final interview for the job when I was actually coming back into a completely different organisation I remember finishing the interview and the last question was you know where did I learn most in my career and I said in the last four and a half <laughs> years and I came out of the interview kicking myself for the stupidity of the answer but actually it was a real truth yeah. I had grown up and developed enormously uh, as a person just in that that period partly because of being with the children the boys but also I got involved in the community and I I took other opportunities so there's there's ways in which you can use every phase in your life to actually grow and develop so let's let's look into the future Uh, one of the goals of the better balance for better business initiative was to envision what Irish business should look like in the 21st century when I was writing this down, I, I realised we were already a fifth of the way through that century. That's a really frightening though. Yeah. So how long do you think it will be until those ideal Irish businesses are the norm rather than the exception? I wish I knew um, and I hope I'm around to see it. Uh, I suppose where I would finish you is by saying that an initiative like the Better Balance for Better Business is about actually moving the dial, actually about accelerating the pace and creating the transparency. So over the next couple of years we are going to be first of all examining where we're at Mm. in those large listed companies in the large private companies and the multinationals actually measuring where we're at in terms of executives and non-executives and and senior managers and engaging with companies about where we want to be getting to and setting targets Mm -hmm. on a timely basis of how we want to progress to that and recommendations as to how companies can accelerate this move and then monitoring and reporting annually. So I don't know the answer to your question. I sound like a politician now. (laughs) I don't know the answer to your question other than saying it needs to be sooner than it will be by doing nothing. And it can't come soon enough for me. And I will know you'll have the numbers at hand when it does. Uh, Breed Horan, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Best of luck with everything. Thank you very much. We're going to go to Carol Andrews now, Chair of the 30% Club and Managing Director of BNY Mellon in Ireland. And I began by asking her, what are the menu of options open to a CEO when looking to drive greater diversity within their organisation? 
So I'm asked that question quite frequently and I, if there was a magic bullet, I would be doing this full time, and um, but there isn't. So I suppose there's a many of things that we talk about. There's maybe nine or ten things. And as I said, it does depend on the organisation and the culture of the organisation. Um, if I were to pick sort of maybe two or three, one is raising awareness. We should never be afraid to talk about it. So we should never be afraid to be transparent. We should never be afraid to be honest. So it's good to talk about it, to share results um, and on, in my view is actually to publish your numbers and not be afraid to say look we mightn't be doing this correctly we might be doing that yeah. differently in my I work in financial services what gets measured gets done if you're not afraid to say these are my numbers then you can make a difference and actually then it, the discussion itself will perpetuate movement mm. um, I do think um, unconscious bias um, is a hugely important one and actually I've an, an interesting uh, in terms of unconscious bias is it's very important to really think about an organization nobody necessarily knows what your bias is until you actually know mm. what it is so um i think that there can be enormous amount done from a training perspective and i suppose what I, you know the next one i would sort of always talk about is we should always have agile working and i don't necessarily mean the policy the traditional working from home but it's the flexibility and the encouragement and the openness around that so the ceo should not be afraid either male or female to take paternity leave and mm. um, the CEO shouldn't be afraid to drop their children to school etc so that type of leadership around agile working gives that culture of supportive because we're in an environment um, that was built by men for men yeah. and we're now transitioning to a different environment so the flexibility and how that works is really important the 30% club were presented with um, a gold sovereign by Bank of Ireland and the gold sovereign actually represented the marriage bar and that you know that was the 1970s that's not a long oh, time yeah. ago so the unconscious bias is still there you know people still have a different view of you know what what roles need to be done by men or women um, and that that gold sovereign was quite an extraordinary thing to think about because they're now presented to organisations that do work through diversity and inclusion mm. but if you think about that you basically had to leave work because you got married and that you know that's not long time ago so culture is going to take time to change so they'd be the sort of typical menus I my aunt worked for the civil service for 50 years never got married because she wanted to keep her job now you see there's an amazing story yeah um, can you give any examples of sort of successful programs or solutions from your work within the Thirty Percent Club? Yeah, so we've we've done some lovely work. Firstly, we're doing a program through the IMI, um, in terms of mentoring. So we work very closely with organisations, and we look for two mentors and two mentees, and we put them through the program. The IMI support the program and match the candidates, and we've had incredible feedback from that it's about being matched with people that are maybe not necessarily in your own industry and it's about some people have built relationships where they've gone on to be actual mentors for you know yeah i'm a big believer in board you having your own little board of uh, directors to help you through your career it's and nice some people, yeah and, and i have my own little board and i know who's on my board but and actually some of these mentors have actually gone on and got more of that which i think is a terrific way of doing that yeah. um and to be honest, the executive education, um, we have an agreement with all of the colleges in Ireland now um, and they have um, given us scholarships. So we have 19 scholarships mm. in 2018 to move on now for 19. 
the stories from them are phenomenal. They're actually kind of, you know, um, goosebumps stories <laughs> where you just see the impact that executive education has had on women and their careers. It's quite an extraordinary thing to hear. And in smaller ways, we've seen lovely stories of um, encouraging women to make sure that they are not afraid to say how they feel, not afraid to say how they think. And even in my own organisation, I've noticed people asking questions as to is this the right number of people in the room are we going to get diversity of thought in this room so small anecdotes like that are very encouraging um talking about executive development uh, you've mentioned sort of education and congratulations you just finished your master's i did i did i'm delighted (laughs) (laughs) so what role do you think and, and let's look at it culturally as well is there that sort of mba culture um is it ingrained really in a diverse way or is it still that sort of the suited and booted young man going to the MBA classes and is our organisations suited for women looking to develop their career especially that early part of their career where they may be having children at the same time so if we look at Ireland it's you know from my perspective and what we've learned the culture of organisations is very different depending on their own diversity journeys. So if you look at some of the technology companies, you can see extraordinary things happening in the technology companies. You know, we've we've great work with Google and with um, Facebook and they have an incredibly diverse workforce and are very supportive to their teams. They work in an environment which I might find very different and they can't, you know, when I'm in Google, they laugh at me because it's just an environment I'm not used to. They stand up in their wonderful foundry and you know take, I've seen Fanula Mean telling a story walking around I'm standing behind a podium so the culture is slightly different yeah. but what I would say is the inclusivity is really improving so how we're having conversations what we're doing to support each other in an industry in Ireland has a great gift being as collaborative as it is we've actually really worked as part of the 220 people who are supporting the 30% club we've all got to know each other very well we're small mm. and we're really supporting each other so if we see you know where we can help people at a particular level we're actually able to get in there and really genuinely do that and interestingly Aer Lingus um, is a great story they had um, 95% of their organisation um, or 95% are pilots or men mm-hmm. and there's only 5% women and that's standard right across the industry and Aer Lingus have made a real really concerted effort to get down to 90% um, and more recently you can even see them advertising saying what a great role it is for women um, and from my unconscious bias, I'd actually be happier if I knew a woman was driving a plane because we're not, you know, we're a bit more conservative when we're driving. So I think it's really important to tell those stories, but but it does take time. And I think, you know, to look at a company like Aer Lingus really trying to achieve that is amazing. So to see them get from 95 to 90 and continuing to drive that change, that shows great leadership and huge tenacity as a country. Yeah. Um, looking at mentoring further, because it's obviously something you're fairly passionate about. Do you think there's a, there's a snowball effect here? You know, in other words, more mentor programs will create leaders, which will then create a natural pipeline of, of future leaders. Absolutely. No, I completely agree with that. You know, it's it's an absolute gift in your life to have a mentor and a member, you know, no matter what part of your career you're working in um, and what, you know, what part of your career journey you're on. I was very lucky to work for somebody very early on in my career who really nurtured me as a person and really encouraged me and made me believe um, and I think that you don't necessarily at an early part in your career know what you want to do. And if you are working with somebody who can really help you think that through and not necessarily in a prescriptive way, but in a really good, encouraging way and having someone with your hand at your back in all walks of life, including your career, is really something special. 
that means that it inspires you to do that in the, in your future life and I certainly have been inspired to do that and I've been inspired to do it for everyone so I feel incumbent on me to put my hand behind me and lift people up behind me and I know very many other people who feel the same and it just maybe your personal opinion I don't know if you'd have evidence for it but which would you recommend for a CEO again looking to set up that mentoring program would you say to look up internally or to get them like you were talking about earlier on to connect with external my personal view is that um, externally it works really well to give a different perspective I do think internally it's important and most companies or larger companies use the internal mentoring and recently one of the things I've seen which I think is very interesting particularly for CEOs is reverse mentoring and I love the idea of that Um, I've actually had a reverse mentor more recently and it, it works really well because you have a completely different perspective and you're back to somebody who's 20 and very digitally aware and thinking about something in a very different way um, so I think there's roles both internally and externally I think internally it really helps you when you're in a very large organisation mm. you know being my Mellon has 55,000 employees and it's really helpful to be able to negotiate around that but actually as part of your career and your own thought process an independent person giving you advice is very helpful and taking that talent pipeline further <clears throat> what are the issues for organisations in terms of attracting developing and retaining top talent when they are gender imbalanced because i often hear that a person won't want to work with a company that is gender imbalanced but i often wonder how do they know well you can go i mean you often you can look at the glass doors and that kind of thing Mm. in terms of reference but i suppose where they're coming from is if you look up um, again it's back to you cannot be what you cannot see so if you look up and all you see is white male mm. and stale or lots of men in an organisation that would yeah. you can also look up the data in most cases you can certainly start to see the data um, I think it's terribly important to have balance but it's more around diversity of thought so where you're, the, the question you're asking is it, it is a huge opportunity for a company to actually develop a diverse leadership team and a diverse management team because you will get different results albeit that you may not know it at the time but that's proven so there is and there is actually data around the diversity uh, right through the organization so if you want to encourage teams to develop and really develop and really think differently if you invest in having diversity of thought and right throughout the organization you'll see a different production Mm. and Let's go back to the sort of, uh, I would call them practical policies. I think you call them agile working practices, Mm -hmm. flexible working hours, all that sort of stuff. What are those employee benefits that can help increasing, help with increasing diversity within an organization? Um, Well, agile working is obviously one. um, So we actually did a survey called Making the Change Count through the financial services arm of the 30% Club. And the, the greatest enabler for staff both men and women, was agile working. It meant that they had more control of their careers and it meant that they were able to be committed to the firm in a way that suited them. So um, we get, got great examples of people being able to drop their children to school or go home to look after a parent. So they're definitely one policy. I think in terms of your own reporting, so we talk about the gender pay gap and that's very important in terms of data and management of data. So that's we have actually got a portal that you can log on to and it'll give you a, su- a suite of, and we're very happy to share it, which I think is something special in Ireland, mm. where we're actually showing different policies and procedures right across the banking industry, right across the agri-food sector. Anything you want to look at, we'll have the policies that we can share with you there. That's interesting. 
Um, how do you feel about using hiring processes as a way of boosting diversity? Uh, should we go down the route of quotas or something like the Rooney Rule they have in American football, which says you have to at least interview a person from a minority community each time? So I would say I'm a big believer at the moment in targets. I might change my mind in time, but I, I think what gets measured gets done. Mm. And I think if you have a target, particularly coming from a financial services industry, if you look at a target, you look to achieve it. So targets for me are very important. We look at targets in being my melon. We make sure that we are achieving our targets and we have diversity targets. So I like the idea of that. At the moment, I'm not a believer in quotas. Mm. I think that's too big a stick. Um, and I've watched what happened, particularly in Norway on quotas, and you'll see um, absolutely 40% in Norway from women and boards perspective. But uh, underneath that, then the women in executive management, that hasn't changed. So, so they never really built. They the, never the built base. an infrastructure, so it's not sustainable. <laughs> mm. So so to me, that's a stick that's not necessarily going to achieve, which I want to see is longer lasting change. So it's a real cultural shift and sustainable change for yeah. Ireland. So quotas to me don't do that targets do that and actually what we're doing in the 30% club and actually what I'm very proud of is the CEOs and who are signed up to support us are actually driving that change mm. um, where you came from in terms of um, looking at a, a, at a balanced organisation you know from I don't I'm not a big believer in I, I think you should always have a diverse slate when you're interviewing but I'm definitely not an in, uh, I'm not a believer of quotas mm. how do you think we should tackle unconscious bias at an individual and organisational level because we all have them it's very interesting. I think we've won some master classes on unconscious bias. Mm. We've also Harvard do a great one that's free. You can just go online and look at it and you'd actually be quite surprised by your <laughs> unconscious bias. But I think it's something we everyone has it. Yeah. Everyone's been brought up to do it. But again, there's nothing wrong with showing the de- showing it. Like actually having the conversation saying, Hey, by the way, do you do you know my unconscious bias is or saying, By the way, I just went to an interview, you won't believe this, it was for white men, all from the same background, all from the same educational background. There's obviously something wrong. I'm really thinking there must be a bias there. I obviously think these four people are the only people that can do the job. So you have to discuss it. Be very open and actually have a conversation around it. And that's where it comes back to, if you're surrounded by the same people, you won't have that conversation. But if you're not, you will. So if you have great people around you that will say to you, by the way, Carol, that's a bit weird. You just had four of the same people. Have you actually thought about that? That calls out your unconscious bias, yeah. which is hugely important. So if you've done the training, you have an idea about it. And I think it's great to start very young. So you realise as you move through the organisation, your unconscious bias changes. I know mine certainly has. And then you have people around you that actually call you out and say, by the way, I think that's a daft decision. Is there any obvious warning signs that you know unconscious bias is playing out in your organisation? Are there any obvious like turnover rates, that sort of stuff? Is there any... For a CEO again looking for that snapshot today, who can they go to in their organization? What question can they ask to see what's happening? The first one is ask very new people in the organization, they'll tell you what they feel and they'll tell you what they can see. There's obvious warning signs, or if you look up and there's all men, mm. white men in your organization, obviously, the signs you know around. Um, policies and procedures are if there's a lack of agility, there's a, there's there's lots of different not so overt ways of looking at things but if you look at your data and you look at your attrition levels and you see a particular spike in terms of women leaving the organization at a particular age you'll mm. see that that is around at a particular grade you'll see that that's around a particular time frame in their career so, so at least if you find the effect you might be able to no absolutely but you should never be afraid of the data you should never be mm. afraid to be transparent and be open because that's how you learn and if you measure it you'll know 
Yeah, it, it, the, the publishing numbers is always interesting to me because I think Google was one of the first tech companies to do it and then everyone has followed since. Yeah. And it's tech get a lot of um, abuse about the, the level of diversity, but it seems to be one of the few industries that are... They're absolutely fantastic. And I mean, um, I would say, you know, there's a, there's a group in Ireland called Celebrating Women in Technology and they've been absolutely incredible on the work they've done in STEM. And STEM is a huge area for women. We've looked at career guidance, and if you look at career guidance, particularly in schools, so if you step back and say, I, I mean, I wrote a blog on LinkedIn, and I think um, it, it was around a, a shoe, and you know, one shoe was called a leader, and the other shoe was called a dolly. Yeah. And the meta narrative when you start very early on in your career, very early on in your life, mm. is between a boy and a girl, a boy is blue and a girl is pink. Yeah. and that meta-narrative starts very early and they say a child's brain is developed at seven so that unconscious bias or that bias is already there so if you're Even not your very con- seven and all, sure exactly yeah. um but if you're if you're not conscious of that and if you're not conscious of you know we had a great event um where a professor was talking and and when and a ceo said like what do you mean and he's he was talking about how he would describe his granddaughter and he'd say she's very beautiful and we're saying, well, would you say that about your, your grandson? So that meta-narrative yeah. really needs to be thought out um, because you can influence somebody's really thought process. And we talked about career guidance. Um, um, I don't know if you've come across a programme called I Wish. Nope. Carolina Driscoll runs this programme. Uh, it's a STEM programme. It's absolutely stunning what she's trying, you know, what she's achieving. But she went into a school and asked girls about STEM subjects and videoed them. And the girls were saying, yeah, I don't know, Ooh, I don't think so, no. Yeah. And some of them, well, what do you want to be? Oh, I want to be a help, so I think I'll be a nurse. I, I really like dealing with people, so I want to be a teacher. And so they brought them to different STEM events where they saw things where you could be help because you could cure breast cancer. Yeah. You could be an engineer. You could do something in technology. And that's a gift because actually the study then showed after three events, these girls changed their minds. And you can get girls to change their minds to think about careers in different ways if you give them that opportunity. And we as parents and we as business leaders but particularly parents and teachers have a great gift at that age to actually help women make a different choice in terms of their futures they don't necessarily have to go into a helping career or a teaching career (laughs) not that they're not their great careers and that's a great choice but the discussion is hugely important so final question um are you positive for the future where do you think we're going to be in 15 20 years Oh, I won't be talking about this in 15 or 20 years. I'm very <laughs> positive about it. I feel the Irish government with the B4B is fabulous. I'm yeah. thrilled to see Breed Horn and Gary Kennedy co-chairing it. And I think it's a great thing for Ireland. I think we are unique in terms of our country, but I think globally it's a discussion that's happening all the time. So I feel the industry will have come on immensely in 15 years. My son will be out in the industry at that stage and I feel that he won't even be thinking about the difference between a role for a man or a role mm. for a woman. It, they'll have their own challenges at that stage, but I, I feel very positive. I do feel the time is now and I do feel we have a real opportunity for the future and I'm very, very positive about it. It also feels like economic realities are driving it, which which means it's which going is, to happen. And your point is so well made because the investor community is now saying I will not invest with you Mm. if you do not have a diversity policy or diverse leadership team or a diverse board so the likes of BlackRock the likes of Goldman Sachs etc are all saying no that doesn't make business sense for me so I'm not going to tolerate it. Carol thanks so much. Thanks you. Thanks great. Thanks a million.